All right, um, so today we're going to continue our study in Acts chapter 1. We're going to start with um, Acts chapter 1 verse 15, but before I begin, I just want to let you know that I was corrected gently after the last meeting, after the last message that I gave in Acts, that a Sabbath day's journey is actually not a long way. And I looked it up this morning, and it said that basically the Jews were given um, the opportunity to take 1,000 steps on a Sabbath day. And knowing the way the Pharisees were, at least, many of them probably counted each step. Now, they may have fudged the number when it suited them, because that would, would go along with their character. But that was what it was. And the, 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 the supposition by the one thing I read this morning about why they did that was because they were not allowed to um, leave the camp on the Sabbath day in the Old Testament to go after manna or any sort of sustenance. They were supposed to stay close to the camp because that would give them a, a less hairy day and growing up as a kid, I have come to echo um, Ken, Je- Ken Davis's sentiments that the, de- the devil's favorite day is Sunday morning. Because he said a lot of times parents get harried and nervous about getting their kids out the door, so they, you know, they uh, are uh, get a little out of sorts. But thankfully, that God can put that back together and give us peace and what a great way to begin this Sunday was our breaking of bread. I really appreciate it, especially when you can see the hand of the Spirit of God weaving together all of the things that uh, we've learned today and just talking about God um, and the immediacy of who He is. You know, the word immediately is an important word in the New Testament. Because often, when Jesus heals someone, that word is used. Immediately he receives strength. When you're talking about the man with the withered hand, he said immediately he put forth his hand, and it was no longer withered, but was whole as the other. And uh, so, as we look at Acts chapter 1, verse 15, we come upon a really interesting dilemma, so to speak, for the early church, their first major church decision, which was that they needed to replace Judas as the twelfth apostle, because he had gone his own way. Remember Jesus said in John chapter 17, of all those that you've given me, I have lost none, save the son of perdition, which was Judas. And some of us may wonder, from a human perspective, why did Jesus choose Judas? I mean, I know I've had that thought, but we know that Judas had his own purpose in God's plan, despite the fact that it's hard for us to understand. So, the first section is Peter speaking of the need to replace Judas as the twelfth apostle, and he said this, And in those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples and said, the number of the names 
together were about 120. Uh, men and brethren, this scripture must needs be fulfilled, which the Holy Ghost, by the mouth of David, spoke concerning Judas, which was guide to them that took Jesus. For he was numbered with us, and have obtained part of the ministry. Oh, okay, I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself. I just want to focus first on um, no, I, I'm sorry. I'm a little discombobulated here. I don't know why. But um, I'm going to continue on. I'm reading through verse 20. So, I'm just going to keep, keep going from where we were. It says, For he was numbered with us, and it obtained part of this ministry. Now this man purchased a field with the reward of iniquity, and falling headlong, he burst asunder in the midst, and all his bowels gushed out. And it was known unto the dwellers at Jerusalem, insomuch that the field is called, in the proper tongue, a keldama, which is to say, the field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, Let his habitation be desolate, let no man dwell therein, and his bishopric, or his office, let another take. So isn't it interesting that David, as the psalmist, prophesied of the need to replace Judas. Every little detail is important to God. And I want to focus um, um, a little bit on this because uh, we see that there were 120 disciples in this upper room, but we also know that the twelve had very specific jobs because Jesus said at one point, there will be a time when you will judge with me the twelve tribes of Israel. So there will be, in some form or another, twelve thrones that the disciples will have and they will judge the twelve tribes of Israel. We don't understand uh, necessarily exactly how that will take place, but we know that it will. And so even though there were plenty of uh, disciples here, the importance of replacing Judas and having the twelve was an important thing to God, so much so that he prophesied about it, or he left a prophecy about it, hundreds of years before Jesus even selected his disciples. Everything that Jesus does, everything that God does, is decent and in order. And so... Um, that must have been difficult for them to think about in a certain sense. Judas was with them for that three years as one of the apostles. Um, some of them are probably still um, uh, in shock over the fact that he had betrayed Jesus. You know, he was probably in one of the 70 who was given temporary power to cast out devils. But he didn't heed... Um, Jesus' warning, which was to fear not him who can kill the body, but fear him who can kill both body and soul, and cast it into hell. And uh, it just shows how you can be close to the things of God without really knowing God. There are a lot of people today that follow the Bible. They claim to follow the Bible. But they change it to suit their purposes. And the Bible is very clear that it's 
Kuzuban ending. We sang earlier in the breaking of bread, yesterday, today, forever. Jesus is the same. He never changes. He always has a consistent truth about his word that is to be fulfilled. And um, it's, it's interesting that we see finally Peter's leadership qualities and his ability to speak up. It's being directed in the right place here. So often, um, a good model for Peter would have been open mouth, insert foot. Because he was very good at saying things, some of which he got right, and many of which he got wrong. I see a lot of myself in Peter because my family will tell you that my mouth has gotten me in trouble on many occasions. But I also know that God gave me my mouth to boldly proclaim the truth of the Scripture and to do so unwaveringly because it's a matter of life and death. And um, so I wonder if we might look by way of cross-reverence um, just very quickly at John twenty-one fifteen to seventeen, John twenty-one fifteen to seventeen, because this kind of establishes that Peter would have leadership in the early church, um, because Jesus issues a challenge to Peter, and we're going to read about that. If somebody gets there, they could read that for us. John twenty-one fifteen to seventeen. So there's a couple of things here. First of all, it's interesting, isn't it, that Jesus challenges Peter with this question three times. Do you love me? And he he answers rightly, Lord, you know that I love you. But I think sometimes God challenges us in a way that it's not so that he can know that we love him. Because he already knows. But it's so that we can know that we know that we know that we love him. So we can be reassured that that's the truth. And so I think that's what, what Jesus was doing. He gave Peter three chances, three times, to say, Lord, I love you. And uh, I think it was a good reminder to Peter that just as he had, he had denied him three times, he then comes back and affirms his love for him. And of course, Peter from that point forward is not the same man that ran in fear. And we also need to remember that um, all the disciples ran in fear. I think sometimes we, we get oh, uh, sidetracked and we think, well, Peter ran in fear. How could Peter be that way? But he was only one of the twelve. It says, all they, all they, were suffering. And apart from the grace of God, that's what we would do. This is why I, I tell people all the time that 
There's no way I could ever believe that my salvation is contingent on something that I myself could do. If it was possible for me to lose my salvation, I would lose my salvation because I lose everything. I'm not capable of holding on to my salvation. But Paul said, I press toward the mark of the high calling of Christ Jesus. I try to lay hold of the things for which he laid hold of me. The motto of my ministry is speaking for him who spoke for me because at one point when I was a young boy, he spoke into my heart and said, I have purchased you with my blood. And now I want to appoint you to do my work. Will you trust me? Remember we we read this morning in the Breaking of Bread also that when Peter, after the miraculous catch of fish, saw Jesus, he said, depart from me, for I'm a sinful man. And he probably felt like saying that again after Jesus rose again from the dead and he saw him. And we read, we don't read the details of that meeting, but we read that Peter was taken aside himself alone with Jesus. They had a private conference. And I think it's because Jesus wanted Peter to know, I love you, Peter. You will still catch men. You're still my choice. Peter wasn't perfect because of that. Because we know that later, Paul says, I had to withstand Peter to his face because he was separating from his Gentile brethren to look good in the eyes of the Jews. And that's not acceptable. And how humbling in some ways that that might have been that Paul was the one to do that because Paul was saved after Peter. Paul wasn't even a Christian when the Holy Spirit came upon the early church. And I think that's an important thing as we lead into the next part of this when we're going to read about the requirement to be one of the twelve apostles. Because some people dis- dis- debate, was the Messiah God's choice, or did the disciples get ahead of God and choose Matthias, and then God chose Paul? From the studying that I have done and the discussions that I've had with my father, my position is that God was honored by Matthias' selection as an apostle. Because if you look in Acts chapter 6, verse 2, it talks about the twelve apostles. And this is again, is before Paul was in the family of God. Paul was an apostle, but he was given a very specific job, and that was to be the apostle to the Gentiles. We never read anything bad about Matthias' character, and we read the fact that he met the requirements, and that's what we're going to read in our next section, because Peter's going to outline in verse 1, 21 and 22, the requirements to be one of the twelve. And he says, Wherefore of these men, which have accompanied with us all the time, that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the same day that he was taken up from us, must one be ordained to be a witness of the resurrection. 
in doing some research, I have found that many believe he was that Messiah was one of the seventy that Jesus sent out. Of course, um, from what Peter says here, we believe that Matthias was following Jesus from the very beginning of his ministry, even though he wasn't one of the inner twelve. The the um, the Orthodox Church and the Catholic Church actually believe something very interesting that I never considered before. I'm not sure I believe it, but I'll throw it out for your consideration, and that is that Matthias had another name, Zacchaeus. And that Zacchaeus, upon his repentance from his sin of covetousness and as a tax collector, followed Jesus from that point on and was known to the apostles as a follower of the way. Now, of course, it doesn't seem to necessarily jive with the timeline, but when you think about the fact that the uh, Bible isn't necessarily chronological in the way the writers write, it is at least a possibility. The tradition also teaches us that Matthias died for the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we're not talking about a man who was superficial and who was just man's choice and got it wrong. We're talking about a man who everything seems to indicate that he was a true believer and cared about the early church. And so as we consider that, I just wanted to, to make you aware of that. Okay. just want to uh, share with you uh, um, a couple things. First of all, I had a quote um, when we were talking about Peter, talking about replacing Judas. Peter Waldo says this, Look to Jesus, listen to Jesus, learn of Jesus. These are the prerequisites of discipleship. Look to Jesus, listen to Jesus, learn of Jesus. And it's pretty evident from what Peter says and what, uh, what I've read other places, that Matthias was such a man. And then, uh, if we can look, by way of cross-reference, at Acts 4.33. Acts 4.33. Someone can read that for us. And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. So these apostles, Matthias included, gave full witness to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You know, that was one of the things that convinced Lee Strobel that Christianity was true was that in his studies, even with secular people who were talking about the time period of the resurrection, they said if the resurrection was an hallucination of his people, 500 people agreeing on the same story would be miraculous. And uh, Chuck Colson is famous for saying that the resurrection that Watergate is proof of the resurrection because when Watergate went down, all the people 
that were implicated in that scam but couldn't keep their story straight for a year. And he said, the disciples kept their story straight for years and years as they continued to go from place to place and share the gospel. So I think that is encouraging and it's important for us to remember that they gave bold witness to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. A lot of times when we're sharing in the breaking of bread, I like to bring things around to the resurrection because as great as it is for us to focus on the death of um, Jesus Christ, if he be not risen, Paul says, what? Our faith is in vain. So our faith rests on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Without the resurrection of Jesus Christ, there'd be no need to appoint a new twelve apostles. There'd be no need for us as believers <coughs> to continue to spread his word. But Peter says we do not follow cunningly devised fables, but that we were eyewitnesses of his glory. How powerful is that for us? And then just an interesting perspective on Jesus' ministry. He who is the bread of life began his ministry hungering. He who is the water of life ended his ministry thirsting. Christ hungered as a man and fed the hungry as God. He was weary and yet he is our rest. He paid a tribute and yet he is the king. He was called the devil and cast out devil. He prayed yet he hears prayer. He wept and he dries their tears. He was sold for thirty pieces of silver and redeems the world. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter and is the good shepherd. He died and gave his life and by dying destroyed death. And that is the Savior that these apostles were preaching. That is the Savior that you and I need to preach. And it doesn't just happen in a pulpit like this. It happens in everyday life. It happens when people hopefully see a difference in us. And then they ask the question, what is the difference? Why are you the way you are? And hopefully you can say, because of the hope that's in you, you can give an answer. And say that Jesus Christ is that answer. Now you may be ridiculed. I know Tim Tebow in particular has had many chances in the media to speak and tell people his heart and he always brings it back to Jesus to the point that people have said that they don't necessarily care if he talks about God but they wish he wouldn't mention Jesus all the time and he said if you had a wife and you loved her wouldn't you tell her every day And wouldn't you tell others that you love her? And he said, that's exactly the way we should be about our relationship with Jesus. He doesn't just want to hear it once. He wants to be here every day. In Acts chapter 4, we'll get into the fact that even though the disciples were unlearned, people were able to see that they'd been with Jesus. So, one of my challenges to you this morning is do people see that you've been with Jesus. And in order for them to see it, we have to spend more time with them. 
I know I don't always spend as much time as I should. I, I often don't. And people can tell the difference. I can tell the difference. My days often are a lot worse if I don't spend that time with the Lord in the beginning of them. I, I especially was a victim, or, or I especially was a, had a problem with this in college, that when I was studying Bible courses, I would rationalize. Because I was studying Bible courses, I don't need to start my day with devotions because I'll be studying the Bible all day long. It'll be fine. But I always got way more done if I spent time in the scriptures personally before I opened my textbook. So just a word of um, admonishment and hopefully wisdom for you that no matter what you have planned for the day, spending time with Jesus is important. Martin Luther once said, if I didn't spend four hours a day in prayer, I'd never get anything done. And uh, so that's a very uh, convicting thing to me. So our third point is um, Matthias is chosen. And that is we're going to be looking at Acts 1, 23-26. And they appointed to Joseph called Barsabas, who was surnamed Justice and, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, Thou, Lord, which knowest the hearts of all men, show whether of these two thou hast chosen, that he may take a part of this ministry and apostleship, from which Judas... <laughs> by transgression foul, that he might go to his own place. And they gave forth their lots, and the lot fell upon Matthias, and he was numbered of the eleven apostles. And when you kind of first look at this, you say, well, they're casting lots. Maybe that wasn't the best thing, but it was a common thing. As a matter of fact, um, there's Proverbs that says, man cast a lot, but the answer is from the Lord. And so it was a commonly approved way to make decisions, and this was before the Holy Spirit had come. And so they you know, were doing what they thought was best, and it appears to be that, as I said, that God honored that choice. And that Matthias was an addition to the eleven. And um, as I said in Acts chapter six, verse two, and we can go ahead and, and read that. Acts chapter six, verse two. Then the twelve called the multitude of disciples unto them and said, "It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables." So that seems to be indicating that Matthias was part of that number. It doesn't say the eleven. When we're talking about the upper room after Jesus rose from the dead, it does mention the eleven. So I think I think that's a pretty good indication for us. Um, but as Matthias is chosen, you know, they're praying, and I, I just like the honesty of their prayers. You know. And he said, Thou, Lord, which knowest the hearts of all men, show whither of these two thou hast chosen. And I think we can learn a lot 
from that. And I think when we're trying to make decisions about church leadership or other things, we need to spend time in prayer. When when Paul and Barnabas were singled out, and the logical thing that this Barsabas, as they're mentioning, was Barnabas. If that's the case, then Barnabas did not allow his lack of selection to get him bitter, because he continued to play a, play a pivotal role in the um, early church. The ways that I can think of off the bat was that Barnabas was one of the examples that people were following when he sold all his land and gave the money to the church so that everyone could be taken care of. Of course, Ananias and Sapphira, they sold their land. They had the power to do whatever they wanted with the money. They gave like half of it to the church and claimed that it was the whole thing. Peter makes it clear that it's not the amount that was wrong. They could have said, we're only going to give half. But they gave half and decided to tell tell everybody that it was the whole. So that was Barnabas. And then another thing is, Barnabas helped Paul get assimilated into the church. People were justifiably afraid of Paul because he had consented to the killing of Stephen. They said, he's just a spy. He's probably going to try to infiltrate us from the inside. And Barnabas says, no, God changed this man's life. And... You know, uh, he basically extended him the right hand of fellowship and brought him in. And Barnabas means son of encouragement. And oh, how much we need that in the church today. We need the church to be an encouraging place, an oasis where we can go and not be um, hammered down, but brought up, lifted up. And even when we need to correct someone, let it be done in a gentle manner that ultimately sees. Um, their restoration as a goal and their betterment as a goal. So, um, so we, we see that God provided for the twelve. And it's interesting that they call in, you know, in that verse six with, with the establishment of being. They call this whole multitude and say, we can't do everything that needs to be done in the church. We need more help. So it wasn't about them being apostles and so they're very superior to everyone else. It was about the fact that the early church needed leadership and they stepped up and provided it by God's grace. And I think that's really what we need is humble leadership. And I really see that in the the, the people here, but I also see that in, in uh, True Life Bible Church who helped me finish paying on my van because... Um, the pastor there is is um, never referred to as pastor. People just call him Todd. And I think that's great because it just shows how humble he is and his desire to serve the Lord and make that primary above and beyond his other uh, duties and responsibilities. So I've just really been blessed by that. Well, um, if we can look at uh, Romans 8, 26 and 27. If somebody has that, they can read it for us. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. 
for we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself makes intercession for us with groaning which cannot be uttered. And he that searches the heart knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Now, this reiterates the fact that the Lord knows our hearts. It also reiterates the fact that sometimes when we pray, we don't even know what to pray for. But we can still cry out to God and say, give me wisdom. Because God will give us wisdom and he will give us what we need. And so, I just really think that that reinforces a couple things here. First of all, we need to um, believe the whole ministry of Jesus. We need to proclaim the whole ministry of Jesus. Um, you know, a lot of people talk about the Great Commission of going there for and teaching all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. But they kind of stop with the first half. But the second half is teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I commanded you. So that means whether it be marriage, whether it be, you know, other family relationships, whether it be government, any of those aspects, they need to be understood and taught from a biblical perspective. We have so many biblically illiterate Christians today. I believe even many who really trust and follow Jesus, who are biblically illiterate. So we need to know the Word of God so that we can rightly divide the word of truth. And we need to be people who will take the Apollos of the world. Remember, Apollos was preaching the gospel, but he was getting some things wrong, and so Aquila and Priscilla went to him, and, he, and they said, this is great that you're preaching the gospel, but this is where you need to improve. And he listened. And his ministry was, was grew from there. So we need the Priscilla's and Aquila's. We need couples who are on the same page, not just individuals that live in the household. That's what's going to show the world we're different. Because right now, things like marriage don't look that different in the church than they do in the world which is a sad commentary, but it's nonetheless true. I always get really upset when even Christians make jokes before people get married about marriage being a ball and chain and about enjoying your liberty until um, the time when you're not at liberty anymore because you're married. I don't think the idea is that marriage is no longer liberty. I just think it's a new kind of liberty. Because when and if the time comes for me to marry, I will be beginning my own family. And I will have my own responsibility for them before God. So now is the time to prepare so I can be ready, so that I can be a faithful man who is, man who is worthy to be followed. So the question that we all have to ask is, are we proclaiming the resurrection? Is that, a, is that a thing for us? We need to proclaim the resurrection. He's alive. He's risen. And we need to preach the whole counsel of God. 
with no wavering. James has harsh words for those who waver. And we need to know that even when we don't have the words to speak, that God will provide those words for us. And if you don't know these, then you can't proclaim the resurrection with boldness. Because there's no power in it if you haven't come to know the one who is resurrected. The Bible says that if you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved. That at the moment you're converted, you'll be sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. So if you don't know him, my prayer is that you would get to know him. That you would cry out to him right now in your chair and ask him to save you. Because once he does, life may get harder, but in the process of it, you'll find that he doesn't speak abundantly about all that we could ever ask or think for his honor and his glory. Each one of these men, with the possible exception of John the Apostle, was martyr for the faith of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it may come a time when uh, we are called to do the same. There are many who are godless, who are even encouraging their fellow godless people in this country to be violent against those who have a moral standard. It's totally unacceptable, but that's where we are as a nation. And so we need to pray we need to continue to do all we can to live peaceable lives. And we need to proclaim the resurrection. So that's the only hope for our country and for our world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you and praise you for who you are. We thank you that even in this selection of Matthias, you were listening and you answered prayer. We pray that we would learn from this example of the 120 who were crying out to you in the upper room and were obedient to you and waiting in Jerusalem for the coming of the Holy Spirit. Lord, we, we pray that we would be prepared at all times for your coming and that until you come, we would continue to study the Word, to show ourselves the fruit know what we believe so that people can't easily sway us into false doctrines. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.